You're listening to The Special from the Retail Exchange. In turbulent times, it's important to stay connected. Subscribe to the Retail Exchange podcast today. As well as exploring the big conversations in retail, you'll get a global perspective and hear in-depth interviews with some of retail's most inspirational people, all without leaving your home. So what are you waiting for? Visit theretailexchange.co.uk. The Retail Exchange, your industry podcast. Hello and welcome to the Retail Exchange podcast, The Special. I'm Martin Popplewell. The phrase well-being has become commonly adopted in recent years, but right now the term has taken on increased significance and importance, and rightly so. The current COVID-19 crisis is putting ordinary, everyday retail heroes firmly in the spotlight. From the hard work of frontline store teams and the many small acts of human kindness to the efforts of people working under intense pressure behind the scenes. Now is most definitely a time for retailers to put people before profit. Coming up on this episode of The Special, we take an in-depth look at the human impact of the outbreak across the industry and the importance of well-being in these unprecedented times. We hear from Yulia Omani, former head of diversity, inclusion and well-being at John Lewis and Partners to get a retail perspective on the very real people challenges facing retail leaders. Coming up... If you communicate honestly, transparently, frequently, so that your staff knows what's going on, I think that would be the most important thing you can do. Not saying that we know all the answers, because no one does, but being really clear with um, with the staff as to what is happening and why, and showing compassion at the same time. So I think those who'd be able to do both, not just this is our action plan, this is why, but show compassion and genuinely try to, uh, you know, soften the blow for people as much as you can and provide opportunities for them to be reallocated and show the parts that management plays in all this. That would be really important. There's going to be a lot of people that will feel uncomfortable or, or, or genuinely not in a position to to to, to risk going out and 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 actually the higher that self isolation is mandated, I guess the easier is the wrong word because nothing's easy for people at the moment. But it but it but it does make it um, easier for people in a position where they might just be fighting with quite a hard personal decision. We start with Yulia O'Mani, former head of diversity, inclusion and well-being at John Lewis and Partners. From that vantage viewpoint, Yulia is well placed to provide first-hand insight into the difficulties facing retailers and employers right now. Thank you for joining us. Retail was already a difficult environment for many people with profit warnings and retail anyway. This is going to make it even more of a challenging time for many of the employees. Mm. No, absolutely. But um, as you can see from what's going on um, outside, we are in a crisis and there's too many unknowns to manage. So all the uncertainties that we had previously, there will be 
um, exacerbated and amplified. Um, but it also there is quite clear distinction now between the grocery and non-grocery, which and grocery would feel um, the new sense of purpose because it's not something that's the sector was famous for being critical to the nation, but now feeding the nation, being in the forefront, being um, key workers, delivering food to the elderly and those who are at risk. So I think that, interestingly, it has very positive effect on people's well-being and morale on one side. But on the other side, there are quite a few challenges in terms of what's going to happen with after three months, after six months and 12 months' time. And uh, all the issues that were bubbling up to the surface before the crisis hit, they are still here to remain and they will be even more pronounced. So I think in this particular moment, what would be crucial is for the leadership to step into that and it would be a real test for how authentic and honest the leadership is with people. Because it's uh, it's definitely a defining moment because what everyone would remember for quite some time is how companies behaved towards employees and um, customers. So it's not the time for empty promises. It's the action people are looking for and meaningful and um as I said, authentic and genuine. And I think the companies that would do it really well, it would um, uh, stand them in very good stead when the crisis is over. I mean, one one thing we haven't talked about so far is the in terms of well-being is the fact that those people that are in those supermarkets, they are face to face with people who might well be in, infected with COVID-19 or not presenting with any symptoms. Uh, and that must be putting them under considerable strain. When everyone else is being told to stay at home, not to travel, they are needed to be in the shops uh, and they are uh, literally at the front line. Mm. No, absolutely. And and as you can see, a lot of companies and a lot of supermarkets have introduced special measures in terms of distancing, controlling the number of people in the shops, putting protective screens, um, offering masks and some other equipment for um, employees to protect themselves. Because at the same time as being key workers, um, you have um, all the risks that you mentioned. Um, and I think this health and safety um, focus and attention to people's well-being would be quite important. But it's not just the physical health. There's also huge mental health pressure that will that it will create in addition to all the anxieties that people have. Also, traveling from work, I'm sure it's not particularly um, great at the moment, given that everything is running at reduced service. So there's uh, people who work in the shops, they genuinely are heroes because they, um, you know, they they risk so much when we can stay at home and work from home. So, and I think it would be, um, again, it would be interesting from companies' perspective how um, everyone would address that and support employees. But what is very positive is um, a lot of crosses, um, definitely stepped up 
because there, there of course, is that there's two types of staff that work in these uh, supermarkets. There's the people that are at head office and behind the scenes, and then there are the uh, the the front line people. Um, are you aware whether there are in the major supermarket chains? people who are sitting down and thinking about people that are on, on the front line and how things are different for them? Oh, no, absolutely. I'm sure um, that would be top priority for the HR teams of all, organi- uh, all organizations um, and providing support for, um, for employees on all different levels, including, as I said, mental health as well and resilience and um, making sure you remain in a positive, positive space mentally. Um, but it's also, it's a challenge for everyone. Um, it's work, working from home and flexibility um, and working from home. It wasn't as universal as it is now, but um, I, I guess people are finding the new ways of working. But at the same time, um, what is becoming more important is actually listening to what people need at the moment. And I think it's working out on establishing these connections between the shop floor and people in the head office, which is now dispersed. So it's people in head office and not, not really in head office. So just making sure they utilize technology to maintain this link because it's great to think about what people might need, but at the same time, you still need to maintain really good connections um, so that what you can think about is actually relevant because you always need to test that. We've touched an awful lot on the the issue of um, supermarkets and the retailers there. Um, The reality is is that um, that's only one part of the retail sector. Um, There are many, uh, many retailers, most retailers, who have closed uh, and the impact on their staff, um, both the people working in the stores and behind the scenes, will be enormous. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's uh, it's very difficult to say at the moment what might or may not happen because um, some of the measures which the government introduced um, in terms of guarantee, guaranteeing wages it may help some um, to some extent. But at the same time, um, if you think about how you can think redeploying stuff more creatively and there are some um some talks about and and i think some companies already done that's those who had to um put their staff on um six weeks unpaid leave for example is talking to nhs and uh, other grocers who actually are in operation and just see how you can think more creatively about how you can change staff or kind of exchange staff in this moment so that people still have jobs and do something useful and get paid, but in a different environment on temporary basis. Um, obviously, it's not going to be a solution for everybody, but it's um, and it puts huge strain on all the different um, retail and in the hospitality sector, um, which is... Um, in a in a worse position than non grocery retail um, would be affected, but at the same time, with online um, channels still in operation, it's it's almost like how you can reallocate workers that you can reallocate to provide more capacity for that. Um, 
so I think you just you need to um, become a lot more agile and creative and non-lateral in terms of how um, you can um, think about protecting jobs at, at this moment. So the first question is, you know, there was already uncertainty in the retail sector anyway, with um, profit warnings with a number of stores, a number of stores facing closure. Um, this is just adding an extra burden on, on those, those staff who are already, uh, to, to put it one way, stressed out. I think what's changed is, um, I don't think there's any sector in any industry or any industry that is not affected, not just to say that it's um, uh, it makes it easier for retail um, or retail workers who may be affected, but I think it's just it's almost like a wholesale change in the way the economics are going to work is going to be um, addressed and changed, and the role of government, how government interacts with all the different parties. I think once we come out of it, the world would be different. And what would be the other significant well-being issues that retailers should be aware of? I think in terms of well-being issues is, um, I think, the feelings of uncertainty, which would require a lot of communication from the management. So in terms of how you can alleviate this uncertainty, um, if you communicate honestly, transparently, frequently, so that your staff knows what's going on, I think that would be the most important thing you can do. Not saying that we know all the answers, because no one does, but being really clear with um, with the staff as to what is happening and why, and showing compassion at the same time. So I think those who'd be able to do both, not just this is our action plan, this is why, but show compassion and genuinely try to, uh, you know, soften the blow for people as much as you can and provide opportunities for them to be reallocated and show the parts that management plays in all this. That would be really important. Because I think that's probably the best you can do in terms of the addressing your well-being. It's... Um, it's for the people to feel connected with the, with their company and also feel that they matter for the company for this period of time um, and also understand the role they can play for the foreseeable future, which I think now we are planning on three months or three weeks basis even because who knows how um, the pandemic evolves. Um, but it's, and I think it's just this, Connection, this almost like basic connection is probably the most important thing in this moment. Yulia Omani, thank you very much indeed for your time. I'm joined now by Craig Summers, Managing Director of Manhattan Associates, to discuss the human impact on the supply chain for retailers during this extraordinary time. Thank you for joining us, Craig. Can you tell us a little bit about the human impact on the supply chain from a sort of a, a retailer perspective as a result of this crisis? Yes, of course. And thanks for, for having me, Martin. Um, so it starts in every aspect of the supply chain because supply chains by their nature are very people centric. And I think it's worth saying that that the people working and, and associates and colleagues still working in stores and and, and driving and in the warehouses are, are, are possibly the unsung heroes um, at the moment because they're still taking personal risks to ensure that we're able to 
to eat um, and 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 to a certain degree shop, albeit online. Um, it does start in the warehouse. We've seen a lot of retailers already take the view that they're not going to mix shifts. So even a couple of weeks ago, I was aware of some of the major food retailers not allow anybody from different sites onto a site or into a warehouse. And now they're doing everything they can to segregate shifts and where possible to keep people apart. And the retailers are doing everything they can to protect their people and taking more proactive steps in doing so. Can you tell us a little bit about that unseen army, the invisible army, who are working tirelessly overnight? Can you paint us a picture of some of the people we might not be thinking about, might not be aware about? Yes, and I think that really probably does come to um, does come to the drivers and, and the colleagues in 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 DCs and warehouses throughout the country and. And actually, it's worth saying that they're kind of the unsung army, three, six, five, seven, as it is. It's just there will be under even more pressure at the moment if there are certain areas, particularly, particularly food and and and, and medicines, obviously. Um, but we, what we are seeing is a little bit of um, a little bit of cross fertilization, a little bit of people that might have been in stores asked to go to to other stores. We've seen it in the press about John Lewis. Um, asking John Lewis stars to go into Waitrose. But there will be a whole load of people working tirelessly, as I say, on on segregated shifts to try and get produce in and produce out. Um, and, 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 and that's that's just a, it, it, it's constant in our normal world. The pressure that's been put in place with with um, people's uncomfortableness and, and, and thus overstocking has has put that has put that pressure even greater and now it's more difficult or 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 less palatable to go out at all we're, we're already hearing of of a bigger pressure on home delivery we're hearing of of um quite long lead times for major home delivery but these people are still working and putting themselves at, at the front line in a way that perhaps isn't recognized as much inevitably martin there's going to be a lot of people that will feel uncomfortable or, or or genuinely not in a position to to to, to risk going out and and and, and actually the higher that self-isolation is mandated i guess the easier is the wrong word because nothing's easy for people at the moment but it but it but it does make it um easier for people in a position where they might just be fighting with quite a hard personal decision and i suppose the challenge for employers is recognizing that whilst at the same time wanting needing for the sake of everybody else to keep the show on the road no absolutely absolutely and i think what we see generally is 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 most employers would do the right thing by their people they're they're of course balancing a difficult time it's it's fair to say Retail in the UK has been under, particularly high street retail, has been under a lot of pressure for a number of years. Anyway, we we in the UK adopted um, online ecom omnichannel far quicker than the rest of Europe. Um, our our per head of cap to spend on on ecom has 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 been significantly higher over over a number of years. So that pressure was already there. So so this puts another pressure on on that kind of shift in, in, in the way we're seeing retail work in the UK. You're an employer yourself. 
can you just give us a little bit of an insight in terms of the way that you have had to change the way that you do things and the kind of pressure that you are on as a as a boss, as the managing director of your company? I look after the UK division of Manhattan Associates, where we have people in in sales, marketing, um, a big professional service to live in that deliver our projects and, and customer support. And because our customers um, are, are retailers and wholesalers across B2C and B2B, um, because we work with some of the big food suppliers of the UK, the big grocers um, and supermarkets, we made a decision. We, we worked from home a little earlier than was mandated because we wanted as much as possible to protect our people and reduce any any likelihood of, of cross-contamination because actually if a customer is using our warehouse system at the moment for instance we we need to we need to be there to support them if they need us um, and we are lucky enough as a business where it's easier for our associates to be able to work from home or our colleagues to be able to work from home but at the same time we did take that decision earlier um, we've also found, which is really interesting, we've created a number of kind of communities, coffee catch-ups, that kind of thing online and, and using video as much as we can to keep that personal interaction in place. We, we, we have something every Friday in the office where we all get together for, for half an hour on Friday morning and we're trying to do a virtual one. We're trying to get colleagues to reach out to each other. If, if we know of, of colleagues on their own to make sure that, that they're included and, and just people engage like that. But from a business as usual point of view, we're still running our projects with, with a number of customers. I've just come off of a customer steering, um, steering board, which was done virtually. It would normally be done face-to-face. It worked really well. It does make me start thinking that, that do we adopt these things enough? But also, it was mentioned in some of the project work, actually having everybody remote and dialing in seems to work better than having a group of people in a room and one or two people dialed in. So it's interesting how how we all, A, quickly adapt to the technology, but B, can make it work in a way that we perhaps wouldn't have anticipated. But from a business point of view, like everyone's business, our number one priority is is to ensure our how people are, are safe and well and, and 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 doing the things to ensure that they can work effectively but but not have to put themselves at any personal risk. Can you give us a bit more of an outline on the pressures that the, the situation is having on retailer supply chain support providers like yourself to enable retailers to keep things as, as much as possible as business as usual at this time? Yes, I think in, in, in certain areas such as grocery where volumes have gone up, it's put a whole pressure on everything. And when you put pressure on, on something, then you're more likely to find that there are potential issues that, that need sorting. And it's and it's critical for people like us to be, to be available and, and to be in a position to turn around things very quickly. Um, Touch wood, we haven't had anything anything yet that's that, that's been of a major concern, but we have been working very closely with our customers um, because normally when there's peak, there's demand, it's Christmas or it's promotion. It's something that we'd have discussed in advance. We'll be aware that volumes are going up. We'll perhaps have people ready just in case there is something. Nobody was ready for this. Um, and we weren't no none of us were able to do the kind of planning. Um, that you would normally do. So 
we've we 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 we've set up some some virtual war rooms where we have some customers going live. Um, we've set up a number of virtual teams around customers, even if it's around the world working together. We, we will we'll operate on on a local time zone to do that, um, and do everything we can to ensure that that we can we we can help ensure we keep we keep our customers operating as as efficiently as they can in this time. Craig, we appreciate your time. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Still to come on this special episode of the Retail Exchange podcast. We have as humans a negativity bias, which means we tend to latch on to the negative um, and our brains are hardwired that way. It's a survival mechanism. So actually, the more positive messages and stories we can receive, the more likely we are to be a bit more hopeful uh, within this whole pandemic. Um, I think we're all facing these challenges, actually. I'm not sure there's many of us who work um, five days from home. And so I think we've all had video calls in the last week with colleagues with dogs in the background and children coming up with homework to be done. So we're facing on a day-to-day basis. But for those employees who have never worked from home before, it is a significant change. I think that balance between home and work needs to be carefully thought about. And uh, I would hate to say, yeah, this is the way you do it. That's the plan. Off you go. It's going to be different for everyone. Um, you know, some people might find that answering their emails at half 11 at night is, is exactly what they need to be doing for their well-being. And I'd say all power to them, you know, um, but it's not going to be for everyone. Understand when it's time to shut the door, so to speak, close the laptop. Next up, we explore the issue of well-being in more detail as we try to keep up an exhausting and for the most part negative media stream. Retailers are facing many practical business challenges, not least how to keep their employees engaged, informed and connected at this time. You yourself are possibly facing some of these challenges on a personal level too. So we'd like to now share a little insight and guidance as to how we all try to adapt to what is quickly becoming the new normal. Joining me to discuss the issue of safeguarding retail employees' well-being right now are Mel Crate, founding director of Luminate, Terry Strether, director of head of training at Oakwood Training, and Steve Collinge, managing director of Insight Retail Group. Welcome to you all. I'd like to put this question to you first, Mel. Positive stories are really important right now. Are are there any that you would particularly like to share with us in terms of explaining how important they are for employees in the retail sector? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important to keep those positive stories coming through, especially at a time like this where um, anxiety levels are high, where there's lots of fear in the air. And all we're hearing really through the mainstream media is is negative stories. But I think those uh, stories of kind of hope, of community, of connection are really, really important. And I think really speak to a lot of our human needs, which perhaps aren't being met as well at the moment. Um, So I think, yeah, now more than ever, we need to be hearing those stories. And I think also the feedback for the people on the front line working in retail and the supermarkets who are under a lot of pressure at the moment, I know would benefit greatly from hearing that. So the more of those positive stories we can connect with, the better. And I think we need more than usual. We have as humans a negativity bias, which means we tend to latch on to the negative um, and our brains are hardwired that way. It's a survival mechanism. So actually the more positive messages and stories we can receive, the more likely we are to be a bit more hopeful uh, within this whole pandemic. Terry, you're director of head of training at Oakwood Training. 
my suspicion is that there was probably nothing in your mind that could ever prepare you for what we are now facing. And as a result, um, there's not really been anything out there in terms of helping train employees to be able to deal with this. Well, I mean, the whole mental health movement has, has grown over the years and, and you know, the, the attention to it is fantastic. Um, but I think so far it's sitting in our knowledge level of our brain. It's not become habit um, for me just yet. Now, I, I wanted to link back to something that Mel was saying, which I think is really interesting, you know, leading to changes in the brain. You're absolutely right. This, this can actually lead, you know, being surrounded by negativity constantly can actually lead to physical changes in the brain. So for example, one region we know about called the amygdala, which is our fight flight center, that's the part that uh, gets us away from danger or helps us seek out opportunity. We know that if we're living in stressful times, that part of the brain can actually physically grow and become, become more hairline triggered. So it gets set off a lot easier. And that's why I think all this negativity, um, you know, in the media coverage and the way that the brain seeks out those negative messages is a really bad thing. And we should be doing something about it by limiting how much of it we take in. So until the media, you know, starts covering the good stories, I think we need to be a little bit more disciplined with ourselves and filtering out some of that negative noise because you start to think this is the accurate ratio of negative and positive in the world, which leads us further into that siege mindset. So if there are retail employees listening to what you've just said and thinking he's talking directly to me, what would your advice be to them in terms of what can they, should they be doing uh, to help themselves? For me, the, the big thing is take responsibility for how much you're letting get into your mind. Um, you know, I know all too many people that are sitting there watching the news wall to wall, back to back new, bad news uh, stories, and it's going to be doing your brain no good. You, you know, in, in our desperate attempt to find some sort of certainty in all the uncertainty that's around us, we very often look in the wrong places. So filter out the noise. My, my best advice would be to check the morning, in, uh, check the news in the morning, perhaps for 20 minutes, check the news in the afternoon to see what Boris has come out with or whatever new um, you know, decisions have been made, and then leave it. Um, the last thing we want to be doing is going to bed every night with these worrying thoughts racing through our minds. Does you no good at all. Um, Steve, what challenges are there? We're familiar with some of them in terms of the people that are at the front line in the, the supermarkets. But what other challenges is this throwing up for employees, particularly uh, within logistics and fulfilment? I think businesses and individuals are being stretched like they never have been before. Um, I mean, I'm close to the home improvement industry and we, we sit in an interesting place because um, as Boris put out the essential retailer list earlier this week, there was a serious question about whether home improvement, hardware, trade stores should be part of that. So I think there's been, on top of the uncertainty in terms of the country and the risk to everybody, there has been a huge amount of uncertainty this week and also challenge in terms of people working for the home improvement retailers, you know, should they really be going into work? Um, I think clarity is starting to be um, achieved now with some guidance from government, some individual businesses making decisions. But those challenges are everything from peaks in demand to the risk that individuals face on a day-to-day -day basis, as, as well as, of course, the frontline NHS staff are seeing the greatest risk. But if you're working in a retail store, there are hundreds, potentially thousands of individuals coming into those stores every day, coming into close contact with you. So you've got huge peak in demand. You've got the risks associated with infection. You've got the supply chain challenges, both in terms of getting product 
out to store, but also buying product from suppliers. And many retailers are dealing with that in very, very different ways. And of course, caught right in the middle of this are all the employees looking for some guidance and, uh, and direction. Mel, what are the watch signs that people should be looking out for amongst their staff? In terms of whether they're struggling with their well-being? Mm. Yeah, it's a really important question. I think one we have to monitor, something we have to monitor now more than ever because people are under a huge amount of pressure. Um, So it's, I think, ever more important. Really what we're looking for is kind of changes in their usual behaviour or their typical behaviour for that person. So there are kind of some behavioural aspects that might change um, in people. So they might become more withdrawn, for example, more irritable. But really the the key point is looking for a behaviour change in that person, several behaviour changes, and noticing how they've been different perhaps to how they have before. Um, We also know that a lot of kind of mental health difficulties tend to manifest themselves very physically. So often kind of things like headaches, migraines, nausea and digestive problems can all also be symptoms of kind of high levels of stress or pressure on a person. So it's really important to acknowledge, particularly in a time like this, where I think we're, we're very much focusing on physical symptoms as part of the virus. It's actually very important to acknowledge there might be things going on there that are linked to people struggling with the amount of pressure they're under that aren't necessarily those kind of obvious connections that that we might necessarily make but the the only way you'll really know this is having those open conversations with your team members and making sure that there is a space there for them to discuss what they're going through Um, but obviously the more contact you have with them the more able you are you're able to monitor whether they have experienced those changes in their behavior how they're feeling um, and it gives us hopefully a better picture of what's going on with them. Isn't the real challenge for a lot of managers in all of this is that everybody knows that there are some people who are more quick to, in effect, phone in sick and say they've got a problem than others. And it doesn't mean that those people that aren't phoning in sick aren't struggling. It just means that some people are quicker to say they're struggling, maybe even when they're not, that, you know, that they're using a crisis to, you know, in effect, avoid coming in. We, yeah, I mean, that, there's always that risk. And I think people are naturally very scared around this time. So people may not want to go to work because of that more than anything. But it's actually a question we get asked a lot when we talk about uh, mental illness and obviously giving people the benefit of the doubt there. Um, we never really, we can't prove if someone is struggling with their mental health. There is no kind of unanimous test that they can take. Um, apart from obviously where they're self-assessing. Um, but I think it's really important. I think this actually um, loops into a kind of wider cultural issue in, in companies as well around presenteeism, absenteeism and company culture in general. I think if a company is built on a very solid culture of openness and trust, I think they'll face less of these issues during times like this. And that's something obviously that companies need to work on on an ongoing basis. But that might happen. I think there's very little we can do about it. All we can do is is keep in touch, I think, more than usual with our employees, keep monitoring how they're doing, making sure they feel that they're supported at work. Um, but obviously, with people calling in sick, we, we often have to take their word for it. There's very little we can do there to, to try and challenge that, I think, particularly at this time. Would you agree with that, Terry? Oh, yes, I would. And, I, and it's very clear from, from uh, you know, the equality action, the accompanying guidance that goes with it is that it's not manager's job. It's not the employee's job to work out if people are being serious or not. It's not to work out if they are really sick. 
ultimately, if we're talking, you know, worst case scenario and things do end up at tribunal stage, ultimately, the people who decide on whether this person is disabled for the purposes of the Equality Act are the tribunal themselves, not the medical experts. So they can have as many footnotes as you like. That doesn't necessarily automatically mean that the person is protected by the Equality Act legislation. Just thinking about how we are all working together today, all at the end of um, microphones and computers in different parts of of the country and, and over the course of today, we've been speaking to different people in different parts of the world. In some respects, that is not unusual, but for many people, there'll be many other aspects of remote working which will be uh, very difficult. Steve, can you outline some of the challenges that you think people might be facing with remote working? Um, I think we're all facing these challenges, actually. I'm not sure there's many of us who work um, five days from home. And so I think we've all had video calls in the last week with colleagues with dogs in the background and children coming up with homework to be done. So we're facing on a day-to-day basis. But for those employees who have never worked from home before, it is a significant change. And I think not only is the piece around self-motivation, um, staying focused on the day-to-day job, and I think that that message of business as usual is actually really important for, for a number of reasons. First of all, because we work for organisations where there is still a job to be done. It'll be done differently to the way it's done before, but we have objectives and strategy to focus on. So I think that that's important. But also, we all need something to focus on, which is positive and a successful day's work is always very helpful for our, for our mental health as well. So I think for those individuals, it's, it's very important they are given guidelines by the business explaining what the expectations are, uh, what is needed, and that this is your daily job. And I think probably additional communication is required, both from a, a high level of the, from the business from the board, from the CEO, but also down to individual managers, giving that level of reassurance. And when work is being done and progress is being made, as always, that recognition, you know what, guys, we're making this work. And however long this lasts, we can do this. And I think that's the uh, that's the key to this, although it is it is quite, we're all adapting as every day goes past, I think, to uh, to this new world at the moment. And there's a challenge, I suppose, for retailers, those people in head office, how they manage well-being from the, the, the perspective of, of remote working, Steve. Uh, very much so, because it is even harder to understand or, or, or be on top of what the, those challenges and those individuals. If, if all you have is, is a telephone call, and of course, you have, if you have a large team, you can't therefore necessarily see what's going on with those individuals. And I think that's where um, ensuring that people have the opportunity to communicate and share how they're feeling about these changes is, is really important. Now, whether that's individually to your manager, whether that's collectively as a team, whether it's a video link, and you're seeing more and more platforms like LinkedIn, where people are sharing photographs of all their team dialing in. Um, and I think that's really important. It's the communication, that two-way communication to be encouraged from both sides. So if somebody's struggling, then they know there is a route to go to speak to their manager or someone within their organization to say, look, I'm really struggling with this. How can I help? And although we're all adapting to, to, to the new world, ensuring individuals are looked after at this point is absolutely critical for for the very reasons that that the mel and terry touched on previously would you agree with that mel 
Yes, absolutely. I think Steve's absolutely right there. I think it's really important to to maintain that um, regular communication for that reason. But like Steve said, having making sure that people feel you know it's business as usual. There is still there's still work to be done, objectives to be met, because that sense of purpose is really important for our well-being. I think there's a few other things that people tend to struggle with, um, the lack of routine, lack of social interaction, um, also lack of movement as well. We know that for home workers, uh, they tend to struggle more with getting enough movement into their day and um, tend to be a lot more static. And that has a big impact on our mental as well as our physical health. So something we need to work a bit harder at, particularly now where we're kind of restricted as to how many times we can go out and about every day. But there are things that businesses can be doing to help their employees there. We know lots of the companies we're working with are running yoga sessions, um, fitness sessions, webinars for their staff. So I think learning and development around well-being at this time is really important to help people adjust to this new way of life. Terry, one of the... Yeah, could sorry, I just come on. in on that point, if you wouldn't mind? Um, I, Please. I think it's, it's, it's really important that, you know, I think people might be struggling with other issues. So uh, for me, when I first started working from home years ago, I found it very hard to, to, to sort of reconcile the fact that now my home place, my place of sanctuary, refuge and recovery is now also my workplace. And for a lot of people, that may be a huge, huge problem. So there are tips, you know, that you can find online by just Googling about creating your own workspace and all that kind of stuff, which is great if you've got the space and you have the luxury of the time and perhaps a supportive partner to look after the kids whilst you're in your work zone. Um, But I think that balance between home and work needs to be carefully thought about. And uh, I would hate to say, yeah, this is the way you do it. That's the plan. Off you go. It's going to be different for everyone. Um, You know, some people might find that answering their emails at half 11 at night is, is exactly what they need to be doing for their well-being and I'd say all power to them you know um, but it's not going to be for everyone understand when it's time to shut the door so to speak close the laptop and and stay in that work routine just because geographically you're not going to work I think you still need to stay in that routine as if you were. There are an awful lot of people that have been recruited at short notice to fill the gaps which have been created by an increased demand in in some of the the retail sectors, I'm thinking particularly the supermarkets. It's an extraordinary time to be starting a new job. How should they go about coping with the recruitment of all of those new people and, and getting people into a new job with very little opportunity to do the training which ideally they would like to do? Steve? I think it's interesting. Let's just cover off that point in terms of the increase in staffing levels due to demand. Um, I think that is absolutely true. I also believe that many of the retailers are recruiting more people for the expectation in the not too near future, distant future, of more people going off sick. Um, So I think what you're happy finding there is they're bringing in a huge volume of people this is not just of course food superstores this is warehouses and there are some the fundamental issues are are they able to train these people in the same way that the people need to be trained if they're going to be on the shop floor or working warehouses just think of those health and safety issues and challenges around that um and i think Let's hope the businesses out there are doing that. I mean, there were stories in the week about walking to Waitrose just to buy some food and ended up walking out with a job, not expecting to do that. But but I think those businesses clearly are putting a huge amount of effort now into saying we need to bring more people into the business. We need to train them effectively. Those training programs are all there. 
to be rolled out. It's just being, I, I guess, squeezed into a much tighter time period to ensure those people are operational and working safely as they should be. Um, because I also have, have absolutely no doubt there will be more and more people going off sick as we uh, as we get further and further into this crisis. So this is going to be so recruitment is going to be an absolutely critical piece as we move forward. Now. Actually, there are a lot of people losing their jobs, unfortunately, and of course, a lot of people who who need work. And let's hope those things can be matched off as we uh, as, as we move further and further into this. Mel, would you add anything to that? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, everything Steve said was absolutely right. I think businesses are going to have to adapt really quickly to a new onboarding process. I think the onboarding still has to happen, but obviously it's probably going to be a fast-tracked version of what they might have done before. Um, But I think it's really interesting to see what companies are doing during this time. Some of them are using things like buddy systems, so pairing kind of newer employees with more experienced employees who aren't necessarily managers but have been there a long time, know how things work and can provide some guidance and support around joining the company. So I think business businesses just have to get quite creative um, around this aspect, but still to make sure there is a good level of support happening, um, particularly when people are very new to the, to the company, um, so that obviously it's going as smoothly as it can at this time. We are probably looking at a long haul on this, one way or another, what are the well-being considerations that need to be taken into consideration because of that? I'm going to put that question to you, Terry, if I may. Yeah, um, I think that we've got to be mindful that everybody is an individual and what works for one may not work for another. I think it's difficult and dangerous when we just come out with blanket policies and approaches to well-being, you know, as I mentioned earlier, that may work for some but not others. Um, I think if you if employers can frame their, their, their level of support around something like the, the five ways to well-being, for example, or the 10 keys to happier living, um, and everything they do be based on making connections, being more active, encouraging staff to do that, um, understanding where to go for help should they need it, um, all that so that we can keep an eye on this fatigue and the, and the, the risk or the danger that people may be coming, um, you know, burnt out or worrying excessively. And for that, I think you need to make sure that you've got really good human connections. I think that's so important and often overlooked is the one-to-one relationships between managers and teams to make sure that if I am in trouble, I can pick up the phone and I can talk to my manager and that relationship is both ways. Steve? Um yeah, just just to add to what, what Terry said, I, I think there are there are multiple challenges with this. It's not just um, people working harder and for potentially longer hours. You've got people who will be having members of the family who are off sick. You've got the mental health considerations. You've got the challenges working from home. I think businesses need to be very aware that this is across the board, across all of their teams, wherever they work. There are going to be multiple challenges, and there are different ways to deal with that. So there's the individual piece in terms of managers and and CEO regular messaging and and the business as usual piece but I think that there almost needs to be a new focus on maybe well-being telephone lines set up so people can call in to share their concerns and, and having the right people at the end of the line to help those people as well I don't think you can necessarily in these new times just rely on the processes that we've had in the past to deal with um, employee well-being I think there may need to be some innovation some creativity some some clever thinking in this space to make sure that employees are, are well looked after and cared for during, during this challenging time. I would just add, I have to say, um, I think in terms of kind of long haul and what, what 
their people what people need for their well-being I think the key thing is asking your staff and something we encourage all the businesses that we work with to do you know, don't ask us what they should be doing for their people's well-being ask their people what they need at this time and that will change and as Terry said everyone's an individual um, but getting an idea of what actually people would find useful at this time you know many companies for example have an EAP an employee assistance program but a lot of the employees don't necessarily know it's there know what they can use it for so maybe promoting that or adding additional services there that people might need but there are so many different things that can help people I think with their well-being the key thing is trying to create a strategy or program and I think this is more important important now than ever is actually going to meet the needs of the people within that organization and I think the only way you'll really know what they want or what they could use at this time is by simply asking them and having that conversation with them so including them in the development of their well-being program um, particularly at this time. Could I just add, add a point as well, if I if I may? Just that we're we're all very familiar, of course, with with first aiders working across departments within organisations, whether it's head offices or retail stores or or, or supply businesses. Um, we've become. Um, more familiar with retailers, certainly in our sector, over the last six to nine months, employing uh, mental health um, experts across each department as well. Um, and I think now is a time where every business should be considering that, having somebody responsible for mental health within each store, each department, each category, each location, however it is. If businesses don't have that at the moment, then I think it's critical that they move to that point and have somebody who, first of all, is there to help employees, but equally is able to feed back to the business exactly what um, what Mel said before. So we're listening to them and feeding back to the organisation what is needed and what uh, what decisions need to be taken. Uh, and that's a great point, Steve. Um, you know, we, we train first aiders all over the retail space. And what's interesting about it, though, is how they're used. So um, I think it's very important to make sure that first aiders are supported because they're going to be going through the same pressures and uh, and feelings and emotions that everybody else is going through right now. And then if you've got somebody else then overloading or, or offloading all of their issues onto them, uh, what's the organization's response going to be to supporting that first aider um, in this particular time? I think they're an excellent tool to have in the toolbox and the thing that moves the needle most for me is for, for employees to feel like they can open up and they work for an organization that's, that's staffed and, and managed by human beings. And in that, we hear that the, the, you know, the best results come from organizations where the senior managers are not scared to open up and show vulnerability and show humanity and just say, Do you know what? Yeah, this is really worrying times and I'm worried too. I don't have all the answers, and as a senior manager, you would usually expect me to have them, but I haven't got them. So we're all trying to work through this together, and I think that that goes a, a, an awful long way to adding to senior leadership credibility and organisational credibility. It becomes a place I want to work because they're people just like me. Mel Crate, Terry Strather, Steve Collins, thank you for joining us. That's it for the final episode of the special from the Retail Exchange podcast. Thanks to all our guests and to the production team for making this special episode possible. We'll be back with more episodes in the coming weeks. Look out for an exclusive interview with Ron Johnson, former CEO of JCPenney, and Pujar Agarwal, Chief Operating Officer of Birchbox. All that is still to come from the Retail Exchange. My name is Martin Popplewell. Thank you very much for listening. Look out for one another and stay safe. You've been listening to The Retail Exchange, your industry podcast. 
stay up to date with new podcast episodes by subscribing online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter, hashtag Retail Exchange. Thanks for listening.